Well, I don't know about you, but I got a little bit of a surprise on Wednesday morning when I woke up, looked out my back window at the deck, and there was an inch of snow sitting there. Anybody else share? Was it was that grief or excitement? I'm not exactly sure. You might feel different ways about that. I actually um, am a snow fan. Is it okay if I say that? I, I <laughs> people are like, no, it's not okay. I grew up in South Bend, Indiana. And I remember when I first moved here to uh, Waterford, people were like, are, are you, you know, you're coming from Indiana to the great state of Michigan. Are you ready for the winters here? Let me just tell you about where I grew up. We were right on the edge of what they call the, the snow belt. So actually, South Bend gets twice as much snow as Detroit does. And uh, so that's what I grew up with. And uh, tons of snow most winters, not every winter, but I love snow. My problem with snow is when it's still snowing here like in May, then I don't feel quite as... Uh, chummy about snow, but uh, I always enjoy snow, and I, I used to get a laugh, too. When we lived back in South Bend, one of the weather forecasters there was a guy by the name of Rick Mecklenburg, and Rick Mecklenburg was on Channel 22, but he was always the one that the kids loved, and you know why? Because any snow was about to be the worst snow ever, and it's like, you know, looking out there, and maybe we're only supposed to get two inches or whatever. For some reason, Rick Mecklenburg is like, there's 24 inches of snow coming in the next 10 minutes. Be ready. It was a little bit like that. And my kids would get all excited. Yes, we're getting a snow day. And we get up in the morning, and there's like, you know, a flake out there. But uh, when they would have those, and every once in a while, you know, you could get on the radar, and you could see, oh, something bad is coming here. So what do you do? You hop in the car with every other person in the community and you drive to the store so you can get your provisions for the snowstorm, which are what? You need bread and milk. Okay, why? Like, like how many of you even drink milk? Yeah, like, okay, yeah. How many of you like bread? Like, you know, it's like, oh, there's snow. We're just going to eat bread. I, I don't know. I don't know how that works. Like, if I'm going to this store, and I'm off for going to the store before the snowstorm, but why don't we get something, like, exciting? Like, let's get some Oreos, guys. We might, be able, we might not be able to get those for the next week. Or something like that. Or, you know, like, my wife is like, make sure to pick up the coffee, okay? Or as we learned during the pandemic, hey, what's the toilet paper supply look like? I don't know. But, but we go to the store, and for some reason, we're supposed to get milk and bread. And why? It's because they are the staples of life. And if all else fails, you can probably live on bread for a week. That's the thought. And that's a little bit foreign to us in our 21st century world. But if you go back into Bible times, that would have been a very real thing. Now, I don't think they had snowstorms back there. But the bread was super, super important because bread was the way that you stayed alive. And everybody was into bread. So it shouldn't surprise us when we look at the scriptures and we find like 250 references to bread in scripture. In fact, it's in there so many times that I think we kind of read right past them often. And we fail to understand how much of a necessity it was to them, but even what a focal point was. They needed to have bread for their lives. And so we see all these stories in the Bible involving bread. And maybe you can think of it through it. In your mind, here's just a sampling of it. Remember when Abraham, the visitors came to, uh, the angelic visitors came to give an announcement to Abraham? He set out bread for them. Uh, Jacob, Jacob sold Esau his stew, but he also sold something else with the stew. He sold bread that went with it. I remember uh, Joseph, when he was interpreting dreams, one of the dreams that he was interpreting was the guy who was the 
baker. What was the baker making? Well, he was making bread for the, for the Pharaoh at that time. If you go into the, the, the wilderness time in the tabernacles, they had the, the, the table of showbread there. They would bring the grain offerings, but part of the grain offerings were actually loaves of bread that they brought in there. You can, like, one of the weirdest stories there in the Bible is Gideon. He has this dream. Anybody remember Gideon's dream? He's about to go fight the Midianites. And what happens? This giant chunk of bread rolls down the hill and rolls over the Midianites. And that's his dream. But we see bread throughout Scripture. In the New Testament, we see Jesus eating bread with the disciples. We see Jesus talking about bread. He tells stories about bread. Do you remember he tells the story about, like, you know, if your guest comes and you don't have any bread, what, you go wake up your neighbor and say, i got I, I to have bread here. Because bread was so much an important part of, of their lives. Like, we remember probably the biggest story that we think about in Scripture of bread is what? The feeding of the 5,000. Five loaves, two fishes. But everybody got bread that day. And then there was also the feeding of the 4,000, which was very similar, a little bit different. But in the feeding of the 4,000, they started out with seven loaves. you remember that? All right. So I'm going to take that idea, seven loaves, and we're going to look at seven places in Scripture today. So we're going to move around a little bit. The verses will be on the screen. Seven places in Scripture where we are told about bread. And we're going to ask ourselves this question, what is it that we can learn from this story about bread. And we could ask the question a different way. What is it, if we see bread as the daily sustenance that the people of Bible times would have seen, and it really is even today, you could survive on bread for a long time. But what is it about bread that teaches us some important things about life, but even more than that, some important things about faith? And so, I don't know that we'd ever describe our faith. I have a, a bread-like faith but what would a bread-like faith actually look like? Well, let's look at the first loaf of bread here this morning. It shows up in Matthew chapter nine or 6. We're going to read verses 9 to 13. But this is the loaf of daily bread. And this is going to sound very familiar to you. Let me read for you this passage here. It says, this then is how you should pray. The disciples have asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And this is Jesus' response. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But give us today our daily bread. And as we mentioned, bread was such a staple, such a need for them. But especially as they lived in an agrarian society, they depended on bread. In some days, I think for the poorest of them, that was the challenge. Like, are we going to have the bread that we need for today? And so Jesus says, start your day or, or, or go to your heavenly father during your day and say, today, God, I need some bread. Now, for any Jew that was listening at this time, what would this take them? When Jesus said, give us today our daily bread, it would have taken them back to the Old Testament to the exodus, to the wilderness wanderings, when they complained to God said, uh, about not having enough food, and God said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the bread of manna every day. And so you're going to get up. It's going to be out there on the, on the ground. You can collect that. But that's what they did is every day they would go out and get their manna. And, and enough for that day. You took too much it, it, and tried to save it up for the next day. It would go bad overnight. 
So every day was walking. And so when the Jews would hear this, they were reminded of the fact that every day I need to look to God for the provision that I need for this day. The basic idea, God, give us what we need for this day. It's a prayer of dependence. And it's a reminder that we need God's goodness and favor and provision every single day and that it comes from God every single day. But I love this principle sometimes as we're dealing with situations in life. It's like, I don't know how I can deal with this, and it's overwhelming. And the answer is what I would sometimes call the manna principle. Okay, instead of looking at the whole situation, can you look at today and say, what do I need to get through today? And God, can you provide that for me? And so that's the prayer. Give us this day, our daily bread. Give me today what I need because I'm a needy person, because I have these situations, these problems, these challenges. And if you don't supply God, I'm in trouble. I even have physical needs, and if you don't supply God, I'm in big trouble. And so every day we stop and we pause and remind ourselves of the fact that we are dependent on God. So what is the lesson from the loaf? Every day we need to express our dependence on God. Every day we need to say, God, if I don't have you, I'm in big trouble. God, I've got this situation. I'm really going to need your help here. God, I have this need, and I am trusting you to fill this need. Every day that is our focus, and that's the first loaf. The second loaf is the loaf of unleavened bread. And to find this one, you go back into the, to the um, Old Testament. starts out in Exodus, and we're told the story of when Moses went to Pharaoh and demanded the release of the uh, Israelites. And Pharaoh kept saying, no, 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 and the plagues came. And finally, on the 10th on the night, what was the, uh, the, uh, what the plague was the uh, death of the firstborn son, except for those Israelites who had sacrificed the lamb and had the blood on their door passed. And, 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 we, and, and to commemorate that event was the Passover feast. But what happened that night is Pharaoh said, okay, fine, you can go. And Moses said to all the people, go make some bread, but don't take time to let it rise. Just take it while it's not risen and grab it because we got to move here and we need to move here quickly. And so the bread never had time to rise. But when we get to Deuteronomy 16, we read this. Moses is talking to a second generation, to those who had been in the wilderness for this time. And he says, observe the month of Aviv and celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God. Because in the month of Aviv, he brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifice is the Passover to the Lord your God. An animal from your flock or herd or at the place the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. And then notice this. Do not eat it with bread made from yeast or leaven. But for seven days, eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste. So that all the days of your life, you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. And so the Passover bread was bread without leaven because they left in a hurry. But they were supposed to eat it every year to remember this event when they left Egypt, the Passover. But it was a reminder to them of how God rescued them. And to stop for a moment and say, okay, God can rescue me. But don't miss this part of it too. God can rescue you in those moments where you just got to pick up and go. Where you're not expecting it. Where it's a sudden change of events 
where, where the whole situation turns in that moment. And so it's a, a reminder of God's rescue, but it's also a reminder of the fact that God can deliver us in his own way at any moment, suddenly, unexpectedly. And it's a reminder to us as well. So the lesson in the loaf of unleavened bread is any day is a day that God can deliver you and in unexpected ways. And sometimes I think we look at our problems and say, I'm just stuck with this, or this is never going to change, or I've lived with this for so long. I really don't have any hopes of this. And maybe that was the feeling of the Israelites who had been in Egypt for 400 years. But God says, no, 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 at any moment I can step into your story. I can change everything around. And so the unleavened bread, which, by the way, we're going to be sampling out back there, after, uh, after the service, was that reminder that God can deliver you in unexpected ways. Well, we move from the unleavened bread to the loaf of leavened bread. And the Jews were welcome to eat leavened bread. It's just at the Passover where they went back and, and they remembered that, that unleavened bread. But as you go through the scripture, leavened bread starts to take on a metaphorical um, meaning symbolic, and leaven starts to represent impurity. The idea is it's something that's introduced into something, and then it spreads and grows. And so in a person's heart, that the leaven might be sin, and how that sin can kind of grow in your heart there. But Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 16. And he says this, and this is a story, and this actually uh, of Jesus and the disciples. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. And Jesus looks at them and says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they discuss this, the disciples among themselves, said, oh, he's talking about the fact that we forgot to bring bread here. And Jesus, knowing what their discussion was, said, you have little faith. Why are you talking amongst yourselves about having no bread? Do you not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves or the 5,000 or how many baskets full you gathered? That had been that day, by the way. He says, or how about the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets full you gathered then? But notice this next verse here. How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread, but be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And if you read this passage in Luke, Luke actually goes on and, and adds a, a detail here. He referred to the, the teaching of the, of the Pharisees and Sadducees as his, his hypocrisy. And so Jesus is warning against hypocrisy, first of all, but also the teaching of hypocrisy too. So how were the Pharisees hypocritical? Well, they are hypocritical because they taught one thing, and they did another. And that's hypocrisy for us, too, when we say one thing and when we do another. Or when we claim one thing, but then when we act a different way. Secondly, they were hypocritical, and they taught that doing something gives you spiritual status and standing. And so they would actually say, if you will do this, this will make you spiritual over here. And they had all these laws and all these rules that everybody were keeping or trying to keep, not very well. But if you did that, you could feel pretty good about yourself to say, yes, look at I have arrived here spiritually. And Jesus said, no, that's hypocritical. Because 
what you're doing doesn't represent necessarily what's going on inside your heart, which leads us to another idea here that they were teaching outward conformity is all that's necessary. And Jesus' teaching was the exact opposite. How about if we work on the heart, and if we get the heart where it needs to be, then everything on the outside is going to be okay. And so it was hypocritical teaching, and it wasn't even true, but hey, if you do all of these things and behave and perform as you should, that makes you spiritual. And Jesus is pushing against that hypocrisy. But it's not just that he's pushing against the hypocrisy. He calls it the leaven of the Pharisees. And the idea is that leaven, when it gets in there, can corrupt or spread, and it becomes problematic. So something that seems harmless, maybe what the Pharisees are practicing becomes dangerous because everybody else is encouraged to follow that thinking. And so it becomes conformity is the value instead of heart surrender. It's what we do instead of how we worship. It's the external, how I act, instead of the internal and who I am. It's the self-righteousness and pride. And I really think this is, is really where Jesus is driving here. Where I say, hey, look at me. I got to figure it out spiritually. And Jesus said, no, no, no. That stuff's really dangerous because that really spreads, and it can spread through a, a religious community. Instead, we need to be focusing on humility. It's that self-focus, like, hey, everybody look at me, instead of god focus, like, look at God, and then we realize, hmm, we got a lot of work to do here. But the lesson of the loaf is this, self-righteousness or externalism or legalism is dangerous. It's dangerous to you. And it's dangerous to the people around you. Sometimes we don't realize that. And we think that, you know, I'm going I'm to kind of put on my, my phony face here and I'm going to act the part. And, and that will at least protect me from everybody else, from really knowing what's going on inside of me. But it's not just protecting. What happens is when I live that, it, it kind of seeps out. And, and it affects our relationships. And it actually affects people around us. And, and I know this. Because I grew up in a church that was very guilty of this, where everybody was doing the right thing, but you know, it wasn't really what people were living or practicing, or what really was worse than that, what was going on in their heart. And there was a lot of, a lot of impressive-looking stuff going on with a lot of puffed-up egos. But humility and kindness and grace and those things, forgiveness, that wasn't a priority. And Jesus is pushing against that. So the lesson, self-righteousness is dangerous. It's dangerous to you and to those around you. The fourth loaf, or actually these are loaves, are the loaves of barley bread. And sometimes we read stories in the Bible and we miss the significance of a detail that's included. If you go back and you read the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in the book of John, it tells us that the, the little boy's lunch included five barley loaves, and that has meaning. First of all, it has meaning that barley loaves were more like rolls, and they were like big chunks of bread. So this little kid was like not carrying like this big duffel bag full of bread. He was probably carrying like five little rolls. But barley was the bread of the poor. You didn't have access to wheat. You didn't have access to the better grains, so you just took barley, which is one of the lesser grains. And so he was coming there with small loaves, that were poor. And so John mentions that. That gives us a little idea of what Jesus is doing in this story. But actually, 
for Jews, especially Jews reading John's account, it would have taken them back to an Old Testament story. And a story that's probably not familiar to most of us, but it shows up in 2 Kings chapter 4. And Elisha is a prophet, and he's got these other, like, junior prophets, or they're like students in, like, this seminary school that he's working with. But it's a time of famine, and they don't have enough food. And so 2 Kings chapter 4, verse number 42, a man came from Belshazzar, bringing the man of God, Elisha, 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. And he said, well, how can I set this before 100 men, his servant asked. The, other, the question being, it's only 20 of these little rolls here out of barley. How's that going to feed 100 hungry Young men. But Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate, and they had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. Boy, that sounds a lot like the feeding of the 5,000, doesn't it? That happened hundreds of years before in the story of, of Elisha. But in both stories, the need exceeds the resource. The hunger is greater than the bread that's available. But in both stories, the resource by the time exceeds the need. And that's a great reminder to us, isn't it? That when we come with need, God's not intimidated. God's not like, oh no, now what do I do? He's like, I got this. And when we come with our needs and our little bit, God's like, I can do something big with that. So the lesson in the loaf is this. Let Jesus have your little because he can make it much. Let Jesus have your little because he can make it much. The next loaf is the loaf of Ezekiel bread. Have you ever heard of Ezekiel bread? You can buy this in the store, and usually it's considered a health food. That's not the root of Ezekiel bread, okay? We're going to go through this one really, really quick. But this shows up in the book of Ezekiel. There's a surprise. But uh, the story here is Ezekiel is a prophet, and he has gone to Israel, and he's saying, you know what, you've sinned against God, and judgment is coming unless you repent. And he starts to do these different demonstrations that show what God's thinking or what's going to happen later on. And so when we join this story here, in Ezekiel chapter 4, God has said to him, Take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and spelt, put them in a storage jar, and use them to make bread for yourself. So what he's saying here is, Ezekiel, go out and find anything that you can and put it together, scrounge up anything, And then this is what you're going to make your bread from because what's going to happen is that the enemy is going to come and they're going to besiege the city and it's going to get so bad in the city, Israel here, it's going to get so bad that you're not going to have any food to eat. You're just going to have to go out and scrounge up what you can find. And I'm going to read this next passage and it's kind of gross to be completely honest, okay? But this is how bad the situation is going to be. He says this, verse number 12, eat the food as you would a loaf of barley bread. Bake it in the sight of the people using human excrement for fuel. The Lord said, in this way the people of Israel will be defiled, will eat defiled food among the nations where I will drive them. Then I said, this is Ezekiel speaking, not so, sovereign Lord, I've never defiled myself from my youth now. I've never eaten anything found, dead or torn by wild animals. No impure meat has ever entered my mouth. Very well, God says, I'll let you bake bread over cow dung instead of human excrement. And then he says, son of man, I'm about to cut off the food supply in Jerusalem. The people will 
eat ration food and anxiety and drink ration water and despair. Food and water will be scarce. They will be appalled at the sight of each other and will waste away because of their sin. And basically what Ezekiel is saying is it's going to be whatever you can scrounge up and you're not even going to have firewood for your fuel. In fact, yeah, kind of gross, right? But what's the point? The point is that God cares about how his people behave. And the children of Israel ignored him and walked away from him. And God says, no, 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 I need your attention here. And he sent prophets to get their attention. And they blew off the prophets. And God said, okay, I'm going to send the enemy in. The Assyrian army will come in here. But the, the, the lesson of the loaf is this, that God has rightful expectations of us. A lot of times, you know, we're like, we live in this age of grace and we have in our mind that, you know, like, God's not holding this big club over our head every time we step out of line, and that's 100% correct. And yet, God is a holy God, and God has expectations for his holy people. And sometimes we need to be reminded that we need to do as God expects us to do. We need to be who God expects us to be. And so we see Ezekiel bread. And the idea is what? God has expectations. Sometimes we're way too casual in our relationship with God. Oh, you know, God's all about grace. God's all about forgiveness. God's all about freedom. Yes, he is. God's also about truth, and God's also about righteousness, and God is a holy God. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. The next one is the loaf of house bread. This is kind of a crossover between Micah and Luke. But in Micah 5.2 we read this, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And this is a prophecy of what? That Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. In Luke chapter 2, verse number 4, so Joseph went up also from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Now we read that in our American language, and that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But if you are a Hebrew, the word Bethlehem actually is a compound word, and it comes from two different Hebrew words. The first one is Beit, B-E-T, Beit. The second one is Lehem, and that's bread. So Beit means house. Lehem means bread. So Bethlehem literally meant the house of bread. So what's the significance of that? Who was born in the house of bread? The bread of life. And that's actually, even the Jews would understand, if you go all the way back to David's time, you know, Bethlehem, and, and, and trace that through the, the prophecy there that's going to be fulfilled, is that the bread of life comes to the house of bread. And what is the importance there? The importance is the fact that Jesus is the satisfaction of what we need in life, physically and spiritually. As bread fulfills our spirit, our physical hunger, Jesus fulfills our spiritual hunger. And even that little name, Bethlehem, and the significance that Jesus was born in that town to say, I am here to fill your spiritual hunger. And we all have it. And maybe you've come this morning and that's kind of what's driving you, why you came in. Maybe it's like this, I'm going to find out what church is all about. Church is all about Jesus, and church is all about the fact that Jesus can... Satisfy the hunger that you feel in your soul. Well, the last one here is the loaf of broken bread. 
And when we think of broken bread, we usually go back to the, uh, to the upper room. And uh, the disciples that were gathered there, and Jesus took his, his, his bread that they were eating there, and he broke it, and he passed it around there. And it was a little bit of a double meeting, and then he was breaking bread. Here, this is my bed. This is broken, and he's breaking off pieces of the bread there. But also in the fact that his body itself was literally broken when he was put on the cross. And this idea of breaking bread really was a common um, phrase that would be used, like, come break bread with me. And the idea, and, we, and you'll see it back there in the back, is, is that Jewish bread was made in... I'm not a baker, okay, so I apologize. But it was made in clumps or braided so that it was almost like it was perforated because they didn't have, you know, forks and spoons or sporks or any of those things. Like, as they sat together at the table, the bread would get passed, and it would be easy to tear off a piece. But this is the verse that we read here in, in Acts chapter 2 that's talking about the early church. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all believers were together and had everything in common. But the church came together to break bread. They came together to hang out and eat. It's that basic. It was like the potluck after the service because it was so important for them to have community. And the lesson of the loaf is that we need the community of the church. And they tell us today that the numbers in churches are dwindling and, and more and more people are walking away from the church and there's a lot of reasons for that. And I put down a few here. I think some people walk away from the church because they've been hurt by the church. Either by someone in the church or by somebody in a place of authority or by even a teaching of the church but it doesn't seem very kind or very gracious. It's like truth with no grace and, and you've got to have both. Some people walk away because they've been hurt by the church. Some people walk away because they feel rejected or judged by the church. That attitude of self-righteousness just kind of comes through. Some people walk away from the church because they've lived the church or watched the church live out things that really they supposedly don't hold or would be contradictory. And so what Jesus teaches about kindness and grace and about loving your neighbor and those types of things they look at the church that's, that's running around beating people over the head and clubbing people uh, w with all of their teachings, and it's like, I don't want to be any part of that. And, and it's understandable because that's not the role of the church. I think sometimes people walk away from the church just because it's easy to not go, to sleep in. Faith loses importance. And as faith loses importance, so does going to church. And as going to church loses importance, so does faith. And it's just bad cycle that you can get in there. And some people, that's just what happens. It's like, they, it's like ah, they haven't prioritized it. They didn't go last week. And I had, I had a good friend of mine back in South Bend. He one time says, Brent, do you know how easy it is to get out of the habit of going to church? And how hard it is to get back into it? Yeah. And so we need to be careful about that. Sometimes... We don't go to church and people get walked away from the church because they're really not connected. They can go on a Sunday morning, but they're you know, sitting there and they don't really know anybody and nobody's really reaching out to them. And that's why it's so important that we serve together. That's so important like we get into small groups and Bible studies together because we need these relationships. And when people don't have relationships, church becomes a whole lot harder. And the point 
of the bread is that we need relationships and we need community. And if you've been reading along in Margaret Feinberg's book here, Taste and See, that's the point she makes when she gets to the bread chapter is it's the importance of community. And that's what the, this loaf, this broken loaf is about. It's community and committing ourselves to the church so that the church can fill that need in our lives. And if the church has hurt you, let me just say that I'm so sorry. The church should be a healing place, not a hurting place. And that doesn't mean that you know, just anything goes or whatever like that, but it means that we care about people and it means that we care about love and grace and what Jesus wants to bring into your life, which is healing. If you have felt rejection and judgment without grace, I'm so sorry. If you've come to church, even if you come to Waterford Community Church and you have felt like an outsider and you haven't felt included, well, I'm sorry. Because that's not who we want to be. And usually what I hear from people is like how warm and friendly and welcoming people are. If you've watched today's church, and I'm not just talking about Waterford, but today's church in, in action and you've been turned off by that, let me just be honest, I have too. I've, I've watched Christian people in the, in the world out there and I'm like, well, that's not Jesus. And I'm so sorry. If you've struggled to connect for whatever reason, I'm so sorry for that too, but I'm even sorry for you because of what you're missing out here as well. And I would say, please don't give up on the church. We need you, and you need us, because we are the community of the broken. That's who we are. It's what we are, and we can't forget it. And we're here because of Jesus, the broken one who reaches out to the broken ones. And as we break bread and we get that picture of it all being separated, the church is the picture of us all coming together. So today is bread day, I guess, at church. We've got seven loaves. Daily bread, unleavened bread, leavened bread, Ezekiel bread, barley bread, house bread, broken bread. Which loaf or loaves is the one that resonates with you? And we've kind of gone all over the place. I admit that. Where has God spoken to you? Where have you experienced him this morning where, where he's tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, you need to think about that. Not just think about that. You need to respond to that. Which loaf is it for you? Let's pray. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. My first question to all of us is, do you know the bread of life? Have you invited Jesus Christ into your life to follow him, to seek his forgiveness? You can do that where you sit this morning. And he can bring satisfaction to your soul. He can, that empty place, that hunger that you feel, that missing piece, that's what he wants to fill. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you after the service. I'll be at the door on the way out. But if you've made that decision to follow Christ, to follow the bread of life, if you have... I think the question of the lows is the question for you. Maybe, maybe it's just not giving up. Maybe it's believing that, yes, Jesus can still rescue you in your situation. Maybe it's that daily bread. Like, I just got to be more trusting, even more grateful about the, the daily things of life because they matter to God too. Maybe it's that just connecting with Jesus as, as the bread of life. 
You're making that a priority. Maybe it's the gathering with the community of the broken. I don't know. But where's the spirit? Where's the word spoken to you today? And so, God, we come and celebrate you because you're the God who provides daily bread. Jesus, we celebrate you because you are the bread of life who was broken for us. You're also the one who gave us the church. So we celebrate you this morning. Holy Spirit, we celebrate you as you bind us together as the community of the broken. Thank you. We praise all in Jesus' name.